question for you this morning as we return to John chapter 15. You can go there with me, John chapter 15. But let me ask you this question to, to maybe get the wheels turning a bit as we think about the passage before us. Should you take persecution for your faith in Christ personally? Should you take it personally when, when persecuted and ridiculed because you're living an obedient and God-glorifying life? Should you consider that persecution a personal offense? We saw last week that Jesus made clear that for all who keep His commandments, there will be persecution in this world. Now, one of the things that I've been again and again challenged with is that if we're not careful as followers of Christ, we, as we live for Christ, we might be persecuted and then we believe that that and take that persecution very personally and, and take that as a personal offense and respond accordingly. But is persecution something that we should consider a personal matter? Or is there another reason that we're persecuted because we live faithfully for Christ? We saw it last week as we gathered around and, and looked at the Word together here in, in John uh, chapter 15. It is as certain as daylight at dawn that if you live for Jesus Christ, you will be persecuted in this world in which we live. Those who live lives of obedience to Christ can count on it. Not for what they're doing wrong. Now, understand this. God's Word speaks to that. If if we're suffering because we do wrong, it's because we're doing wrong that we suffer. But if we're doing what's right and we're persecuted, it's not because we've done something wrong. It's because of something we've done right. It's because we are doing right according to God's Word. And as we show ourselves to be faithful followers of Christ, we receive persecution. But there's some there's a reason here that's indicated in the, in the text. There's some other reason than, than, than a reason that we ought to take personally. And I want you to see that very clearly today. We need to be careful that we don't look at persecution as a personal matter, something that we respond to as a personal offense. Otherwise, if we do, we may do just the opposite of glorifying God in the midst of persecution. We may harm the name of Christ and hinder the advance of the gospel if we don't respond with the right understanding. This is, in fact, how the world treated Christ. They persecuted Christ. He had done no wrong. Correct? I mean, Christ had done no wrong. The world hated Him anyway. It baffles the mind to think of it, but it's true. And because the world hates Christ, those who are His faithful followers do receive the same hatred He received. Maybe not in the same way but they do receive the same hatred he received. In the passage that we have before us this morning, and we're going to be looking at verses 21 through 27. In the passage before us, Jesus explains further why those who are his will be persecuted. This, of course, helps followers of Christ. It ought to help us understand the hatred of the world. It ought to help us be prepared for it so that we aren't discouraged and thinking that this is a personal matter. It helps equip us when we understand that persecution is coming. It helps equip us and, and understand how to better to deal with the rejection of those who persecute us. And we pick up here in the text where we left off last time with verse 20, 21, where Jesus says this. Follow along with me in your copy of the Scriptures. Verse 21 of John 15. Jesus says, but all these things they will do to you 
on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So back to my question from the beginning. Why are faithful followers of Christ going to be persecuted by the world and, and should we take it personally? Jesus says in verse 21 that all these things they will do to you. Do you see it there in verse 21? All these things they will do to you. Why? On account of my name. Because they do not know him who sent me. You see, those who are faithful to follow Christ, those who are obedient to Christ, they will receive persecution from the world because those who persecute do not know the one who sent Christ. We see that here plainly. They don't know God the Father. Now some in Jesus' day, and the problem that Jesus was dealing with, and we still deal with it today, some in Jesus' day were saying that they knew God. But when Jesus came along, and said, we know God, but who's this guy? We don't need this fellow. We don't need him. We know God. Who is this fellow who claims to be the Messiah? Now that's even true in our day also when people claim that there are, in one way people do this as they say, well, there are many ways to God. You just need to find your way. You need to find your way. You don't necessarily need Jesus. Sure, Jesus might be one way to God, but there are many ways to God, many say. You just need to find your way to God. Many ways to God means, listen, many ways to God means you don't necessarily need to believe in Jesus or obey his commands and teachings. That's convenient, right? Because when, when I say, well, I don't need the Jesus of the Bible, then I don't also don't need the Bible. And I don't need God's word correcting me or convicting me of sin. You see, often, of course, we're talking about Many ways to God, it means you only need to find your own way to God. And often, of course, that, that way is closely tied to self-righteousness. And often you may even hear people say, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. <laughs> I mean, look at the way, he, I'm not that bad. Certainly God's okay with me, and I'm okay with God. I'm certainly not as bad as that person. I mean, look at the guy in the news that you heard about last night. I'm not as bad as that person. And I think we need to guard our own hearts and our minds against this kind of thinking ourselves. We might come to church even and feel like, hey, I go to church every time. I'm okay. I listen to the preacher. I'm okay. I'm all right with God because I go to church. But listen, if you think you're okay with God because you go to church, you're wrong. That's not good enough. You may, you may not really know God if that's... If that's how you feel, if you feel like, well, I go to church, you know, every once in a while, and I'm okay with God because I do that. That's 
That's often true of many people who think that. That's not true in, in God's way of thinking, in the way the Scripture teaches. That is not how you become right with God. And we th- often think of, and we talked about it this morning in our Sunday school hour, the, a lot of times people c- connect works with righteousness. If I do good things, I'll be accepted by God. I, he couldn't possibly be willing to punish me because I do good things. But the truth is, if you believe that, You've likely never trusted in Jesus Christ. And you need to think seriously about whether or not you've trusted Him as Lord and Savior. You see, Jesus goes on in verse 22 to invalidate that kind of thinking. Look at verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. And the point here is this that no one who knew of Christ in that day could honestly claim they didn't have enough evidence to conclude that He was God's Son. And what He spoke convicted of sin and revealed the sinfulness of man's heart. Jesus, you see, was validated by the Father. Jesus had been given authority. Jesus had been given power. And the evidence of that authority and power was seen wherever Jesus went, wherever He went and taught and performed miracles. There were more than, more than enough miracles at the hands of Jesus Christ to validate that He had authority. For all who saw of Him, even for those who heard of Him, that Jesus was the Son of God. So to claim that you know and obey God, but that you don't need to know and obey Jesus, this fellow who claims to be the Messiah, I don't need Him, is to show that you really don't know and obey God. Why? Because, because Jesus came and spoke and taught and worked miracles which gave evidence of His authority and spoke very clearly to who He was. And the message He proclaimed was one of repentance for sin. And the truths He taught exposed the sinful hearts of all who listened. What Jesus taught uncovered sin, and that brought guilt. And that's so true of us also. If you come here and you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed, you know the gospel tells you that you need Christ. You need to repent of sin and trust in Jesus Christ. You are without excuse if you reject Jesus Christ. And because Jesus exposed sin, which brought guilt, you know what came after guilt? They persecuted Him. And they crucified Jesus. And because they hated Him, they they couldn't claim to know God. And yet they were. And yet often, people in our society do the same thing. And maybe maybe even some of us, we say, well, I, I believe in God, but I don't need to be saved. I don't need to trust in Jesus Christ. Well, you're without excuse. If you hear the gospel proclaimed today, that you need to be saved from your sin by faith in Jesus Christ and faith alone, you're without excuse. And you can't claim to know God and reject Jesus Christ, His Son. It's still true today. Those who are faithful to Christ and represent Him very clearly to the world and by their faithful witness and testimony, Jesus still exposes sinful hearts and Jesus still brings guilt that that, that exposure of sin from the heart of sinful man. What follows? It's guilt. And because of that, because of that guilt, the world hates those who are faithful messengers of Jesus. 
because Jesus exposes the sinful heart of mankind. So not only do those who reject Christ remain in their guilt, they also demonstrate by their rejection of Christ their hatred for God. Look at what Jesus says again in verses 23 through 25, where, where it says, Whoever hates me hates my Father also. Whoever hates me hates my Father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. You see, those who reject God the Son also reject God the Father. And when Jesus demonstrated his authority by those signs and wonders, and when he taught, the teaching exposed sinful hearts, and those who heard should have repented of sin and believed in him because it was obvious he was who he said he was. But instead, what happened? Many, many hated him. And still today, those who faithfully represent Jesus Christ as they live by faith and walk in obedience to his word are rejected and are persecuted, not for who they are, but for whose they are. You see, when you show yourself to belong to Jesus Christ, you will receive the same ridicule and scorn that Jesus received because your identification with Christ reveals the need to sinful mankind for the need for forgiveness of sins and brings guilt. And because Jesus was rejected, you also will be rejected, not for who you are, but for whose you are. You see, faithful believers are hated because they represent Christ. And Jesus exposes sin. And Jesus says, it's not by works you'll be saved. It's by faith through me and me alone. There's no other way to God the Father than, than through Jesus Christ, His Son. And those who refuse to repent, those who refuse to, to turn from sin, they'll often turn against those who are Christ by persecuting them for their faith. So how can believers who must deal with persecution hope to deal with it in a way that brings glory to God? How can believers hope to deal with being persecuted as they live faithfully for Christ? Note the encouragement Jesus gives his followers here. I want you to look at the remaining two verses of chapter 15. Look at verses 26 and 27 again. But when the Helper comes, oh, we're not alone, are we? How are we to deal with persecution? But when the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So here are two, in those two verses, two encouraging reminders for you if you're Christ. Because you hear me saying, and you actually hear the word saying today, if you're a faithful follower of Christ, you can count on having to deal with persecution. So here are two very encouraging, I think, very encouraging reminders for you if you are Christ's. The first is this, that the helper, you know, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that's yours if you are Christ's, the Holy Spirit that lives in you, 
who's given to you when you repent of sin and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will bear witness about Christ to you. And you might think, what what does the Holy Spirit bear witness about Christ to me about? Why do I need the Holy Spirit to bear witness about Christ? Well, in other words, you're going to know that you're Christ's. You're going to know that you're His. You're going to have confidence that you are Christ because the Spirit will make Him known to you. You see, you can count on, as you faithfully live for God and face persecution, that you will be borne up and carried by the Lord Jesus Christ in His Spirit that works in you. And isn't that a special blessing that's for His followers? Isn't that a special and and a miraculous blessing that's ours that we can look forward to and count on? That, yes, we know we'll be persecuted, but have faith. Be strengthened that the Holy Spirit will testify to your spirit that you are His. You belong to Him and He will never let you go. And this is a wonderful thing about when we read God's Word. When you read the Word and when you believe the Word and when you obey God's Word, you will be strengthened because the the Word of truth is borne along and carried by the Spirit of truth. See, that's why we need to be so faithful about soaking ourselves in the truth of God's Word because as we give ourselves to the Word and we give the Word to ourselves, the Spirit takes the Word. The Spirit of truth reveals God to us in that we're given confidence and encouragement that we belong to Him and He will never let us go. You see, the Spirit of truth will take the Word of truth and will use it to strengthen and encourage you in the midst of persecution and will embolden you to remain faithful no matter what comes. You will not find strength to remain faithful no matter what comes in your own doing. It will only be through faith in Jesus Christ. Bearing witness to your heart is what the Spirit does. Bearing witness to you that you are Christ and that you will be held and you, you will be provided for by God as you face persecution for the cause of Christ, for the sake of Jesus Christ, because of the name of Christ. Now, you may not be facing persecution right now. You may be. But even if you aren't, God intends for you to be strengthened by the Spirit of truth, and He will strengthen you for bold and Christ-like living if you will surrender yourself to Him and surrender yourself to His Word and walk in obedience to the Word of God. As you take steps of obedience, God gives courage and boldness for you to live faithfully and obediently, even in the face of persecution you may not see coming. And when you pray with faith, you're going to see God's answers, which will also encourage you greatly in your walk with Christ. You need the Word of truth. And the Spirit of truth will take that Word and embolden you and encourage you. And when you humble yourself before God and pray, He will lift you up and encourage you as you see the answers to your prayers as you obediently live for Christ. There's a second encouragement. It's that you're going to be helped by the Spirit in your witness for Christ. Not only will the Holy Spirit witness to you that you are Christ, but the Holy Spirit will work in you and help you witness for Christ with your life, with your speech, with your conduct, The second encouragement there, you're going to be helped by the Spirit in your witness for Christ, says verse 27, and you will also bear witness. You see, that's tied to that previous promise. The Holy Spirit will bear witness to you, and you will bear witness. You see, in the face of persecution, the disciples were going to be empowered by the Spirit to remain faithful to Christ, to be bold in the face of opposition. 
You may not be facing opposition now, but as you live for Christ, you will one day face persecution and opposition, and you're going to need the boldness and work of the Spirit to remain faithful in the face of opposition and to be powerful for Christ, not by your own strength, but by the boldness of the Spirit working in you to speak the truth in love to unbelievers, even those who would persecute you and cause you to even pray for them that they would have eyes that would see the truth and believe in Jesus Christ also. See, this promise is yours today. Those who are obedient to live for Christ will receive encouragement and strength. Strength to remain faithful. I believe we all need that encouragement. I don't think any of us is, is without that need for strength and encouragement to remain faithful to the truth and to remain faithful in our walk with Christ. Satan knows just how to discourage us. You know that? I think we all know that. We can easily be discouraged as, as we walk with Christ, but remain faithful and realize that it's the Spirit at work in you. As you remain faithful to God, He works His Spirit in you, emboldening you, encouraging you. So as we walk with Christ, as we faithfully obey the commands of Christ, He helps us to not lose heart, to not give up. Because by the indwelling presence of, the, of God, the Spirit, He strengthens us to, to bear a faithful witness for Christ. That's what he requires of us, that we, that we bear a faithful witness for Christ as we deal with any kind of persecution that might come our way because we walk with Christ, because we are his, we identify with Christ. No, we're not persecuted for being who we are. We're persecuted for being obedient to Christ because that obedience reveals Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ illuminates the dark heart of sin and exposes sin and brings guilt. And we dare not think that being persecuted is something to be avoided. We might pray that God would give us grace to endure persecution, but we ought not think that we ought to run from persecution. I'm not saying that we invite it. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting we go out and try to stir up persecution. But as you live for Christ, you will not be able to avoid it. You will not be able to avoid those who oppose Christ. And so we ought not think that we can avoid it. If you live for Christ, you're not going to avoid persecution, but at the same time, you can rest assured that He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. Right? So be encouraged. Be challenged to live faithfully for the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you can also rest assured that God's purposes will prevail. Don't ever forget that God has His plan and his purpose in place and he will obtain the answers to his purposes he will prevail god can and will use even the persecution of his children to greater advance the gospel of the lord jesus christ and i know as you and i face difficulties and hardship and turmoil and tribulation and persecution we can't possibly see the good what's the good that could come out of this god but we need to understand, as we've seen, and we know, and we know it from God's Word, and we know it throughout Christian history, that persecution will often advance the gospel like nothing else will. For example, Julie Ackerman Link, who contributes to Our Daily Bread, writes, In AD 64, someone set fire to Rome. A few days later, two-thirds of the city lay in smoldering ruins. 
a rumor spread that the emperor Nero had set the fire because he wanted to rebuild the city and name it after himself. Needing a scapegoat to get himself off the proverbial hot seat, he chose to blame a defenseless and unpopular minority, Christians. He then initiated such intense persecution that he's been referred to as the first Antichrist. It's believed that both Peter and Paul were martyred during this time. Because Christianity was new and its followers still relatively few, the sadistic treatment that Nero leveled against believers, which included using them as human torches to light his palace garden, continued with little opposition. His persecution eventually backfired. However, instead of weakening the new faith, it strengthened it. History tells us that within a few hundred years, Christianity became so influential that Emperor Constantine made it the official religion of the Roman Empire. She goes on to say, God always has a purpose in persecution. He will use it for good if we follow the example of Christ, who, according to 1 Peter 2, when he suffered, he committed himself to him who judges righteously. You see, God will use even persecution. And we are not persecuted because of who we are. It's because we belong to Christ we're persecuted. It's because we live for him we're persecuted. And even persecution will be used to accomplish God's purposes. We, we must not lose sight of that. Don't ever forget that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You have the Holy Spirit to testify to your heart that you are his and you are kept no matter what comes. Do not be discouraged. Be encouraged to witness clearly and boldly for the Lord Jesus Christ and remain faithful. God will always be faithful to you. 